My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Siobhan Bachman. Hello. Hello. Siobhan Bachman is probably one of the most together women I've ever met in my whole life. She's incredibly intimidating just by being fabulous. She is a (laughs) TV executive with nearly 20 years experience developing television, both in the U.S. and U.K. Siobhan recently moved to Tornante Television after developing both comedies and dramas out of the extensive library of IP at Archie Studios. Now, prior to that, she managed writers and performers at Management 360, and before joining 360, she executive produced the ABC's comedy pilot, Randall and Hilda Are Not a Couple, for ABC Studios. Prior to moving to L.A., Siobhan was ABC Network's UK comedy and drama development scout, where she found British formats and on and off screen talent for the American market. Siobhan, you've been so busy. I have. I'm very, very old. <laughs> you, you know what? Dude, you do not look very, very old. You actually look um, like you could be in an Archie comic, to Aww, be honest. You, you have like you have like the big eyes. and uh, uh, Having been in the Archie world for so long, mm-hmm. who do you identify with? Like, I always wanted to be a Veronica, but I think yeah, secretly probably. I was really a Jughead. Uh, I, I'm a goody two-shoes. I'm somebody who sort of reads up a bit of a swat i'm probably a betty you're a betty i'm probably a betty. okay you don't have the soul of a veronica because i suspect you do yeah yeah, yeah. after a few drinks <laughs> um you know what we were going to talk about your new job and we will mm-hmm. but since we're talking archie mm-hmm. um and because my my 15 year old and 19 year old daughters are both just addicted to riverdale yeah i was wondering if you could give me a little inside scoop <laughs> sure i mean um Archie has been massively successful with Riverdale and Sabrina and Katie Keene, which is coming out uh, very soon. And um, that really was down to the showrunner Roberto kind of taking these much-loved pieces of IP and really flipping them on their head. So some of the references for Riverdale were things like Twin Peaks, you know. Right, you can absolutely see it. Totally, and... uh, it was not only beautiful, but it was compelling, but in some way maintained some of the original DNA of those characters that people loved. Um, and it was a long journey to get Riverdale off the ground. You know, that was a show that went round the houses, um, that sort of morphed from being all sorts of different formats, um, and was initially kind of conceived as a, as a feature. Um, but I think that it's tapped into something that is compelling in the way that it's a guilty pleasure for older audiences and it has multi-generational characters and it also feels naughty to the younger demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it was also one of the first shows to really make a massive impact with its second window on Netflix. So obviously it lives, it goes out live on CW, um, but having that second window in Netflix and that introduction to an international market made a massive difference to the show. Huge difference. Um, and that's also something that's really interesting. Like in the UK, the Archie properties do feel incredibly American. And uh, Riverdale, though, is a point of access to a brand new audience. Um, so, so you, you know, as somebody who's from that area, did not grow up on Archie comics the way that I did. Well, I... I lived in the um, I lived in like Malaysia and Hong Kong and places like that when I was a kid in Singapore. Oh, wow! So we had Archie comics there, and actually Archie are making um, uh, Bollywood movies for the Indian market with Netflix. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, the company itself is like hugely healthy. You know, it's uh, based at Warner Brothers, uh, where they have an overall TV deal. And um, so I was kind of charged with finding new opportunities to delve into an enormous amount of titles because the company's been going since the 1930s. So it was everything from superheroes to detectives to medical procedurals. Um, and it was fascinating. It's, it's very interesting being a Brit and looking at these much-loved American properties um, but the principles are kind of all the same. It's like, what is the compelling nature of this character? Therefore, where do I want to see them in terms of their context, in, term, in terms of story? Um, and I, I loved that job. I thought it was really interesting. And actually, um, I've moved across to Tonante, which is Michael Eisner's uh, not only production company, but also studio and we also own some um, titles there, which I'll be looking at, which are Mars Attacks and Dinosaurs Attack and all the tops cards, basically. Um, and I, I, I was kind of slightly missing, or very much missing, developing original projects. Mm -hmm. But um, I, do, I do find it really interesting to, to look at a piece of IP and it's the way it's morphed over decades and then taking little bits of each iteration and finding what's, what are the pieces of the DNA that make that a new compelling story to tell. That must be so challenging because like you said, you have to, you have to deal with, there's an audience that loves the original. There's yes. a brand new audience that's craving something contemporary. Mm. And I would imagine uh, I don't think you were at Archie at this time, but when it first came out, there was some pushback, yeah, you know, on, on, you know, what is this? You know, this is nothing like the Archies that we grew up on. Um, but then, you know, sort of picking, peeking in when my kids are watching, I'm like, like you said, the, the DNA of the characters and their relationships is still there. Yes. Um, so, so how far do you feel now that you're working for Tornante and still looking at some, some IP, mm -hmm. how far do you feel you can go? Do, do you experiment with certain genre things? Like what if it's more sci-fi or what if it's a thriller? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, let's, I mean, let's be honest in the marketplace at the moment, 
it's either got to be somebody's incredibly personal um I'm using the word compelling too often, <laughs> but somebody's okay. uh, exciting uh, personal story or it's um, a story based in IP. And I think that those those are the two things that make um, a sale, to be frank, to a broadcast a broadcaster. So um, it's I think that we all need to find ways of reimagining kind of pieces of pee that we're familiar with and i mean how many times was ben Hur made um but it's things like say that what riverdale was really clever at was it made sure that it was diverse diversity was like the main kind of a thrust i mean katie Keene, there's no straight white guys really in the show um and it so that immediately felt like it was open to a broader audience that it wasn't just for you know, a white, you know, middle class, middle of America kind of um, audience there. And I think that also having that narrative hook, so you're finding out who who murdered somebody, for instance, that was also part of a sea change that was happening, again, with the introduction of streaming being a challenge to broadcast, uh, you know, to the networks, where instead of shows being strictly episodic, everything being tied up at the end of it, you know, we're in this weird kind of middle ground at the moment where, um, you know, the the networks are having to hold on to viewers and the way to do that is to give them a narrative hook. And so introducing that into the Archie world where you're used to these disposable kind of comic book stories that are wrapped up all in one and broadening that out, that was really clever. So when you're going in now with uh, an IP and you're proposing something, mm-hmm. um, I would imagine you're going in and doing the pitching? Yes. And so do you start with, uh, here's a reminder of why we love this, yes. and then here's the new take on it and why? Completely. Yeah? So, um, And that would be the same as if you were going in saying, this is this writer's direct personal experience of something that they want to share with you, that you want to share with the audience. It's all about authenticity. So it's authenticity of the writer's experience, authenticity of that piece of IP. Um, And the same is true of if you're bringing in a novel. You know, you're bringing in a novel and you're saying, um, you know, I'm obsessed with this novel because I enjoy it as itself, but I can see how this expands beyond the parameters of this novel. Um... And that's important. Like I'm, I'm working on something at the moment where I'm taking the same approach as, say, like hopefully something like Westworld, where Westworld, you know, we all were massively familiar with that movie, loved it, but it's the ability to take something and give it long form, longevity, that is, that's the secret source. That's the amazing kind of bit of magic. So you must also sort of look at a project and look at its cast. Like it, it, the, the cast of characters that you could build out from. Like we could take this this character yes. and we could divide that character to two or we could take that character's storyline and we could uh, develop it this way. Like you must have to constantly be thinking not only like a producer but like a writer in terms of, of how to expand these projects. I suppose it's like and this is whether or not you're dealing with the existing IP or something completely original. Um, It's a boring question to ask, but 
what is it about? Like, you can have... I've literally just come from my house where I've been watching a British show that I'm thinking about how we can develop it for the American market. And at its heart, it's a thriller, but for the American market, I need to think, what is it about? Hmm. It's about how women feel during this part of their life. It's about how do you tackle this in your marriage? Like, the bigger themes are the things that drive American development, which actually give it longevity. Hmm. Because you're not just concentrating on the genre of thriller or drama or comedy. You're thinking about that big universal hook that's going to bring us in and make us want to watch the show. Um, I mean, for example, like uh, one of the you know best shows that's been around has been Succession recently. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be a multimillionaire media family, but you can easily empathize on some level with these characters, even though, even though they're grotesque and wonderful. <laughs> the power dynamics of family. Completely. And so it's not just about, a f- you know, it's not just about that very specific situation. It is about trying to earn your parents' love. Um, so whenever you're looking at anything, it's like, can I crystallize this into some kind of theme that makes sense to anybody who's watching? Interesting. So that's what you lead with. And then everything that you would pitch afterwards supports that theme. Definitely. Definitely. That's your drive. I mean, that's kind of why you're going to hook in. So like even looking at, I was just reviewing like even the trailer of the first season of Riverdale, Mm -hmm. it starts with um, something like the it was supposed to be a perfect town or yes. something like that. And it's that idea that our perfect towns all have these dark secrets. Yes. And that's what, like immediately putting that out there and yep. saying, yes, you grew up on this perfect town of Riverdale, but what if we explore the dark secrets underneath that you always wondered about, right? Absolutely. And it's, the, it's coming of age. Each mm-hmm. of those characters, the events that happen are the events that trigger the coming of age. So, cool. um, you know, again, you don't need to lived in a murderous small American town to relate to anything that's happening in terms of them having to confront, for instance, the loss of a parent or Mm. um, that their parents are flawed and they have to actually look after themselves in some aspects. For instance, you know, those are just Mm -hmm. examples. But um, I think that... And that then... You're then using these very familiar characters who are kind of like hooks on which to pin all those themes what a great way to pitch something too is by saying like each character their stories over time will contribute to their development yes. right means that you can now take the familiars archie for example mm-hmm. you know he might start here but in the course of exploring this particular murder mystery he's going to become this right yes and it again the longevity ends up pitching itself, right? Definitely. But we know there's an emotional arc there and it all contributes to this, yes. this overall theme. And that's what, when you go into pitch a show, you know, that's that's the ultimate question that, you know, the the streaming channel or the broadcast network or whoever, they, what they're going to want to know is what happens to these characters. It's not necessarily what happens in the show. Mm-hmm. The show is the architecture around the characters' journeys. So... Uh, and if you're able to confidently plot that, you know where these people are heading in their lives. That's the thing that makes it compelling. Because you tune in for people, you don't tune in for story. 
all the time. Now, with your with your new gig, mm. are you going to get to go back to comedy as well? Because I know yes. that you have a heart in comedy. Yeah, I I'm uh, I really love. Uh, fallible idiots in particular <laughs> um, and uh, you know one of my reasons for moving here was that I think comedy as a genre is better treated in the US than it is in the UK and um, certainly you know the huge amount of talent in, in comedy in the US is massive and I just want to play with it all it's like a massive toy box um, and as I say the thing that's exciting about Tonante is that it's a production company and a studio, so we fund development and buy scripts and purchase IP. Um, and we have that ability to work with anybody. So if somebody has an overall deal, it doesn't stop us from working with them. Um, so there's there's a freedom in being in a place that is able to, you know, fund development and uh, reach out to all sorts of people. That is really exciting. Oh, great. Congratulations. Thank you. You're three weeks on the job so far, right? I am. Okay. I am. All right. Yeah. And so far doing just fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Killing it. <laughs> <laughs> now, before that, you were at Management 360. So you I were was. a manager? Yeah. I did two years of that. So um, I was uh, initially looking after British um, comedy and drama writer performers um, and then looking after some Americans um and uh management 360 is like amazing they're like the top brass kind of company and it was fascinating to kind of see how they operated in terms of uh i was at management 360 in a time when like ladybird was being put together oh and my god i tanya and kind of wow you know and the kind of talent that that company represents is amazing. It's fantastic. So when you say it was being put together, were they packaging the the project? Yeah. I mean, they were, I mean, Evelyn O'Neill, who's one of the partners, she produced uh, Ladybird with Greta and, um, at, you know, at 360, like uh, Jill McElroy and uh, Chris Uvain, all those people really helped Itonia come together. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're, they're a phenomenal company. I just didn't really like managing. <laughs> well, but they're completely different things, right? Like yeah. you're, you're hopping desks. Like, I mean, sides of desks, I should yeah. say. On one side of the desk as a manager, you're trying to get a job for your client. And yes. now you're that person who's giving the job. So you'd rather be the person giving the job than Precisely. trying to get the job. And the volume is extraordinary. Like you would have over 500 emails a day. Wow. And then think... What have I achieved? Like, what have I actually done? <laughs> Is um, I think you know, if you have a good manager, you should absolutely you know give them a kiss and a cuddle and tell them that you're very very grateful because a good manager uh, they're hard to find and they are working every hour of the day. Like mm. it's really hard. It's mm. a really hard, intense job. Um, and the idea was ultimately when I joined that I would find some time to develop but it was it's hard sure it's hard sure um but I loved it and in terms of like all the people I met they were kind of all instrumental in terms of people that I'm working with now um and so I, I would imagine like having a good relationship with uh, a management company like that too is you can now turn to the talent that you yes. know that they represent yeah. and say, hey, look, you know, I've got this thing. This might be of Absolutely. interest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So, yeah. 
Um, but it's yeah, man, managers. Um, I mean, they really do work their bottoms off. So yeah. What brought you over here? Because I'm seeing that you you were ABC Networks UK comedy and drama development scout. Do they? Yeah. Is that what what brought you over? To- so we had um, my husband's a comedian and his dad's American. So. Um, my husband always had like a dual citizenship and um, when I was working at Tiger Aspect I did some work with Paul and Laurie Feig and helped uh, Rana and Beverly set up uh, in the UK on the live circuit and then uh, they got a TV wow. show How f- <laughs> that's amazing um, Paul Feig what I know <laughs> The, the nicest man um, and so James and I came out to LA for the first time when Paul was shooting Bridesmaids and stayed with Paul and Laurie and that was kind of like uh, our first introduction to LA so my husband got a manager and I can't remember if I met up with ABC at that point probably not um, and then we came back and forth for pilot seasons for my husband and um, it was kind of during one of those seasons, I was I had been working on Henry Winkler's show in the UK, and um, Kelly Luganbill, who was then at ABC Network, uh, I got a call from her saying she was looking for um, a scout. And then when I was out in LA, we met up and I made it official. And I was massively impressed by how much the executives at ABC were aware of everything internationally. Like, they... Because they're just ready to steal it. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, there's so many steps ahead. Like, they are so involved, they're so on it Mm -hmm. in a way that I... um, Every time I thought, oh, they'll they'll never have heard of this show or whatever, they always had. Oh, cool. Um, So I had to really dig deep to find things. Um... And it was the start of a, of a relationship with ABC that I really enjoyed. So I did that. And then at the point, my husband got a role on a Transformers movie. And we, I had sold ABC a script that I had been developing with Ed Weeks and Hannah Mackay in the UK. And that's kind of when we decided to make the big move over here. So that was five years ago. And my babies were small, and it was like, if we don't do it now, we'll Right, do it. exactly, because then they, they get friends. And when they yeah. get friends, you're never allowed to leave. Absolutely. It's like, how dare you? Um, and so it was, uh, at the time, we thought, oh, we'll just try it for a year. And then we were like, oh, now I don't want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> the weather is enticing, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think it is... It's tough. It's tough coming from a country where you're quite well established and you've been working for a long time and then you come here and people aren't necessarily aware of like the shows that are your flagship shows at home. Um, And you have to not exactly start all over again, but it's tough. Mm. Um, And I think that, you know, for for me, I've kind of watched when I first came over here, like Brits were very popular. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of a dip. And then <laughs> like, like Brits went out of vogue. They absolutely they stopped trending. And then, um, and then, like shows like Fleabag and Succession and stuff. There you go. We killed at the Emmys. <laughs> um, so the, that's been helpful. But um, I think that uh, sometimes American uh, companies will pounce on like a British writer, and 
develop with them without any knowledge that they don't understand the fundamentals of the difference in where you do business here and how you do business at home. Do you and think it's completely different? Do you think there's also a uh, this is rather general? Uh, do you think there's a different approach to structure or storytelling um, in the UK versus here? Definitely. So we we do not have the money for um, writers' rooms. It doesn't it doesn't really exist. Um, <clears throat> and in terms of process, if you had an idea, your agent would set you up with um, you know say a handful of production companies that you they thought were a good fit for your idea you'd sit down with them and then one of the companies would buy a treatment and that treatment is basically like the pitch pages that you put together over here but you're paid say a grand and a half and that treatment contains the you know the deal in that contains the option on the idea so you are stuck with that production company for maybe two three years that's it at a grand and a half at a grand and a half wow um then often you'll work up a treatment the producer takes it to the channel the writer sometimes isn't even in that meeting Hmm. or doesn't have anything to do with that meeting and a channel will buy a script or sometimes the production company will buy the script but really because there are only like five places to sell shows at home you want that broadcaster to be as invested as possible so you want them to buy the script Mm -hmm. um and you only have a handful of places to go it's it's so tiny so you end up developing thinking in your brain oh okay the head of comedy at the bbc he likes this or head of comedy at channel four she likes that so even before you're kind of working out your idea you're imagining exactly where it stands on the you know, the TV schedule. So you're modifying it to the tastes of certain yes. individuals or platforms. Yeah. Which means it can kill it very quickly mm. because if that person passes, that's it. Um, whereas here, I think there is more of a kind of adventurous, okay, let's just think of the best thing we can think of and then we'll think about where this lives. Because we have, there's also so many platforms. Exactly. Right. Um, now, when I when I teach over in London, um, you know, the majority of that student body are looking toward Netflix, Amazon, like yeah. to actually get out of sort of their pond and into yeah, a, a, you know, slightly larger ocean. Is that a possibility when you are yeah definitely. working over there? I mean, I, it's still being worked out though, in the sense that if. If something is... So Netflix is trying to make sure that they do Mm co-productions with British companies. So therefore, they're budgeting at, you know, a UK tariff rather than an American tariff. So, for instance, like, you know, people at home can be paid only six, seven, eight grand for a half-hour script. Wow. Now, if you sell a script here, you're, like, adding a naught at least. Right, sure. So... I think that that would be a zero for you. <laughs> just, uh, just <laughs> but I do think that that is something that um, a lot of Brits are not aware of how much Americans are paid for scripts. And so they would be, I, 
I don't know how it's all going to work long term. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are pitching a show to Netflix in the UK, why would you why would you sell it here mm -hmm. if you can earn ten times the amount by coming to the states? Got it. Got it. So, I'm yeah. I I think that's going to be something that evolves over the next few years. I'm going to jump completely off subject. Sure. Because I don't want anybody to miss this. How did you discover John Oliver? <laughs> um, I didn't discover him. He, he yes, exists. you did. Um, yes, you did. Uh, that is that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Uh, so I, I mean, I had known John for uh, a long time, been aware of him for a long time, because um, he was a client at Noel Gay, where I worked when I was like in my early twenties as. Um, a voiceover agent and then a sort of co-agent sort of thing um, but I had worked uh, on The Office I, I don't even know how it all came about but I, have this, I had the same agent as Ricky Gervais Ricky and I had worked on and I'd you know, been a dog's body assistant casting person <laughs> on The Office second, and, second season and Christmas special how fun um And so I was asked to put together some people um, as a new correspondent. Because they had in their mind they wanted a Brit, but they weren't kind of sure. Um, and what I found really interesting was that we... They sent me... The Daily Show sort of sent me some pages. And they, they kept saying, just make sure people improvise around these. They're not to be kind of like set in stone so few people could do it just the just the idea of improvising around it was really hard well there's a marriage to the script yes in in the uk which is which is to be respected and and, yeah. and it's wonderful a marriage to the words yeah but it is a different um we, technique yeah than, and we don't have yeah. a huge improv we, mm -hmm. it's bigger now but we mm -hmm. don't have a huge improv community so um just that alone was very difficult and then um a lot of the brits tried to kind of in the scenes that they were given, give a character progression. Mm -hmm. John was like one of the only ones who would deliver the joke and then reset, deliver the joke, reset. And he just knew that show and he knew how that, how that was meant to be delivered. Um, and, I mean, yeah, he was head and shoulders the best. <laughs> Do you get a big ass uh christmas basket every no. year no no nothing oh, john no Come i did on. no to be fair to john this woman made you <laughs> to be fair to john we went out to new york when he got his um hbo show and he had got me like my own green room oh. and sorted me out and we went for breakfast with him the next day oh. and things like that. I love him. I'm a big fan. He's genuinely a lovely man who works incredibly hard. You can and tell. He deserves every single bit of success. He's wonderful. So looking ahead, mm. um, uh, it's hard to say this when, you, when you've just started a brand new job, mm. but um, if uh, what would be your dream, your dream, outside of the production company that you're in right now, mm -hmm. um, would it be... Um, creating an original show mm -hmm. that you know your your show running yourself or the executive producer on would it be have you thought about are, are features at all interesting uh i i'm not that 
in love with features. I'm really in love with television. Um, when I was like 13, 14, I used to go through the trash cans of production companies like Hattrick looking for scripts and things. Like it's something, uh, television enters your home in a way that's not like a uh, film. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and uh, it takes a re- really long time. Um, whereas I think if you get a half-hour comedy that is extraordinary, it changes people's lives. It's, it's just amazing. Um, I also am really kind of uh, drawn to half-hour dramas that feel charged, that have kind of colourful wittiness about them. I think like something like Dead to Me was fantastic. You know, it was fast-paced. You ate it all up. Mm-hmm. It had that huge hook at the end of every episode. Um, it's female-led. Most of the things I do are female-led. Um, and it was funny as well as being dark. And I think that those kind of shows are amazing. I love things like Shit's Creek for being a warm hug of a show that... With terrible people. They're not terrible. No, but you like, still like, love them. Right, exactly. Like yeah. it, it is this warm hug, but it's, it's comprised of personalities that They're aren't selfish. huggable. Yeah. They're selfish. Yeah. Um, but they behave in a way that is almost like wish fulfillment on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love Shit's Creek. I love... Um, I'm trying to think what else I love. I mean, things like Barry have been exceptional. So good. Um, and I, I think we're in this really unique time when we're bringing like a filmmaker alter kind of sensibility to things like half-hour comedies. So we're able, you know, I do think it's wrong to say that there are some half-hours that are classed as comedy just because they're half-hour, when they're not actually funny, they don't deliver on it. But I do think that we're in this unique position to make things that are funny and beautiful. It's very hard to do, but I think it's quite exciting to try and push yourself to do that. Now, when when original pilots do come across your desk, mm-hmm. what... Let's, let's start with the bad habits for a second. Yes. Okay. What are you so tired of or what would just make you go, oh, God, do I have to read the rest of this? Uh, (laughs) Post-apocalyptic. I know why everyone does it. They're like, oh, the civilization's been stripped away. It's just the character. Just don't. Don't do that. (laughs) You do so many of them. (laughs) I mean, mean, there was one point uh, when I was at Archie's at Warner's and I think I read like four or five a day. Mm-hmm. Like it was insane. Um, it's also, it's also, we're all thinking it's the end of time. So we're all like, yes. I, what if? Right. <laughs> um, other things. Uh, I think things where it, it, nothing feels rooted when you read something and you just go, I don't believe this person has existed for this writer in any sense. That, like, maybe they're just uh, sort of imposing a character that they grew up on in movies or whatever, but yeah. it's not their own. Yeah, It's exactly. not their own voice. Exactly. It's an invention that doesn't feel authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think often, you know, if you're sending in something as a spec, it doesn't have to be like a big concept. I mean, it's more like the quality of the writing. So, if it's a half hour where I think, okay, this show isn't going anywhere, but this writing is great, you know, that's something that's uh, just as useful for you in terms of your career. So maybe a point of view. Yes, definitely. Um, 
Okay. All right. So you're looking for a personality to come out of the writing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a straight white dude, just be aware that you're a straight white dude in this, in this environment and don't make it all about straight white dudes. Mm. Because um, I think it's, it, it's, it's something where if you don't show um, the sensitivity to know that there are other people in the world at the moment, I think it's harder to get yourself going. We've talked about, you know, some of the, this can be confusing for people because on one hand we're saying like what you just said and another we're saying stay in your lane, you know, with your experiences. But I think, you know, an easy thing to think about is after, okay, there might be a straight white dude who is your lead, right? Mm -hmm. But that person does not live in a world, none of us live in a world filled with straight white dudes. So look around at the casting, even in the office that you're in, right? Is it just filled with characters just like you? You know, it's a very easy thing to go like, oh yeah, that person could be a woman easily. Yeah. That person probably is a woman, but you are seeing through a certain lens. Um, And it's a horrible, horrible generalization. But um, I think women as a whole, we're much more empathetic in terms of aware of people around us all the time. So, um, yeah, I think kind of just be sensitive to that, you know, if you, if that's your position, I totally appreciate that, you know, I'm married to a straight mate man. Um, it's a <laughs> difficult time for them. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I think, um, what else are do's and don'ts? Um, I th- yeah, it comes back to authenticity, writing something that you have lived or are obsessed with. Uh, when you leave a script, you, do you like to know what the show is? Like, feel like, oh, yeah, I get, I mean, you mentioned <coughs> sometimes eh, it's not going where you want, but there's a voice there and it's like you could develop yeah, it, into, you could fix it into the point of view and show that you think that they're going for. But sometimes when you leave a pilot and you go, what is the show? Yes. This is just a bunch of scenes, right? Yeah. And it's like not even sort of thematically connected. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Poor thing. Um, There's a lot of dust in this studio. It's coming out from somewhere. Oh. I think the vent somewhere. Um, Otherwise, it's a lovely place to work and take in no, classes. Just letting everybody know. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> My first time here and it's lovely. Um, I think that... Um, I mean, this is so reductive, but uh, I I had a great exec at Sky, and he would always say, "Think the poster, think the poster." Mm. And it's true. I think if if you're if you're having difficulty expressing your idea in a succinct way that grabs an audience, it's going to be incredibly difficult to sell that to a producer, and that producer is going to have an incredibly difficult time selling it to a channel. So if you can find a way of really stripping down what you are trying to say and um, why we're going to want to tune in. I mean, that's, that is unfortunately the clarity of the concept and the packaging of the two things that make, uh, that make give a show life. But, you know, as you said, it all starts with theme. Yep. Right. So what is it really about? Right. Yes, and so even if you, you know, you're packaging it well and it looks shiny, that doesn't mean that it's about nothing because yeah. you're probably articulating yeah. what the show is really about. The themes in some way are coming yeah. through in that visual. And don't get too hung up on, oh, I saw something on deadline that's just like this. Like, mm. because so many of those things fall apart. And oh, I get, that's good for writers to hear because yeah. I get a lot of panicked emails about and that. It's different if, you know, if you were writing a show that was about a big media company that was all brothers and sisters fighting. 
um, you know, unless it's something that has come out that's iconic, if you are bringing your own authentic voice to it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only so many stories in the world. Um, but I think that, you know, sometimes you can get depressed, people can get panicked, um, and lots of those things don't, you know, run for a long time. Um, another thing that is kind of, you know, if you're using references to express what your show is, try and keep them contemporary and keep them, or iconic, mm-hmm. and try and keep them... Um, it sounds ridiculous, but like successful ones. Right. So when you're, we're talking about a show that's in the vein of, right. Yeah. It's important to have comps because people have to know like, well, if it's a medical show, is it, is it, you know, Grey's Anatomy or is it house or like it, it could be a a variety of, 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 uh, of, of shows that are medical, but they just have different genres and tone. But like you said, something also that is iconic. Yeah. Like Grey's Anatomy is, might be off the air soon, but it is iconic. Yeah. Like everybody will know, oh, it's kind of got a soap element to it. The faster you can grab somebody to your concept, the less work you have to do. Mm-hmm. So the faster you can say, it's like this meets this. Um, I've uh, shot a show this year in the UK called Hitmen, and it's Broad City meets Pulp Fiction. It's like two idiot idiot assassins who bungle an assassination each week. And, you know, immediately Broad City, you think, oh, they have a really firm friendship, you know, that's indestructible. Broad City, there's going to be some killing, but it's not in the kind of um, depressing vein. (laughs) It's in the almost comic book vein. Um, So the quicker you can kind of get there... Mm -hmm without selling yourself down the wrong direction. Love it. This has been so valuable. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Wow. Great advice for writers, for for producers, for anybody who is pitching a show or thinking about developing an original one. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Pleasure. Really appreciate it. And we will keep a, an eye out for um, all new material that comes out of Donante Television. Good. Is there anything that you want to sort of point people's eyeballs toward right now, or is it all sort of up and coming? It's all up and coming. I mean, Hitman, I I think it's really good. Um, and hopefully that will come out in the U.S. as well. Um, it's now starring Mel and Sue from The Great British Bake Off, and people know them on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Tonante just announced on Thursday, I think it was last week, that they have just got a second season on Amazon. And I think it's utterly beautiful. It's the first, I think it's the first um, s- whole season of rotoscope animation, which means that you can see people's um, features and uh, expressions in a way that you never could before, which actually draws a much bigger female audience. Um, so it, it, I think it's pretty groundbreaking. So if you haven't seen it, you should go see it. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, also, are you a, on Twitter or anything like that? Do you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. No. <laughs> well, I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv for sort of a catch-all for everything that's going on here. The uh, studio will be nice and dusted for you. Um, January 4th through February 8th, when we do the six-week first draft class, come in with an idea and leave, and you will be 
deep into pages, whether it is a TV pilot or a feature. Um, Remember that is also done as video conference in the morning so that you can take it anywhere in the world. And I figured out how to do this now for people who are out of all those time zones. I'm also uh, going to be creating um, a tier where you can just sign up to get all of the recordings after the the Zoom video class. So you can just watch it at any point. Um, it will be less for you because you won't be able to uh, be there live for it. So you won't get the Zoom invite, um, but you can anyway because you'll be sleeping. And this way you can just follow along with the recordings and get all the materials and still learn. I want to thank Siobhan Bachman one more time for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. You're wonderful. Thanks to all of you for listening and have a good writing week. 